listening to The Remix Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Rupnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. Well, I am here today with Julie, the author of Happy Together, and I am so excited. I have the exclusive so far <laughs> um, podcast with, with Julie, and Julie and I have gotten to know each other over the past, gosh, I think it's maybe been going on over a couple years. Now I've lost track and we, we connected on Instagram and, and I noticed she was another author out there in this arena and we partnered on a few giveaways of our books. And I think our books go really well together, don't you? Because yes, they, have the similar, they have a similar color palette and we didn't know each other before, which is so cool. And, and they have the similar kind of feel of being you know, like a children's book and you can put it on the shelf in your baby's room and, and maybe even have it be a good baby shower gift. So I, I thought it was so neat to find your book and I love the way, I know we're just launching right into that, but that's, what's popping in my head is I love the way it's so that it's written. The language of the book is written. So we'll get into all that good stuff later, but I just, I definitely want to get to know you to, and the audience to get to know you and a little bit about your story, what you would like to share. So, um, what what led you to, to writing the book and, and your own story? And there's so much about you I want to hear about. So. <laughs> well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm extremely excited to chat with you today and share a bit more about my story. Um, so my husband and I knew fairly certain right away that we wanted to start our family after we got married. And it's, <clears throat> it's interesting because I through the years as a single young woman focusing on her career. And then as um, someone who was engaged, I, my annual exam would chat with my OBGYN about my fertility and, you know, what that might look like when I was ready to start a family. And I had expressed that I had some concerns regarding my potential ability to have a child due to family instances of early menopause. So that was kind of something that was in the back of my mind and that I was fearful of. Okay. And unfortunately, my OBGYN tended to dismiss those concerns, mm. um, would say things like, don't worry about it. I'm 40 and I just had a child. Don't, you know, everything will be fine. And so I, I believed her. And once we got married, we started to try to have a child right away. And as the months passed by, I became impatient. I tend to kind of be more of a type A person who likes to be very planful and always kind of have my schedule and have, have things in control. And so I became a bit impatient and reached out to my OBGYN and made an appointment to discuss, you know, why it had been a few months and I wasn't yet pregnant. And she continued to say, don't worry, you know, it will happen. And at that time I was 34 or 35. Mm. And I let that sit for a few days and it, it wasn't sitting well with me. And my intuition was mm. to press further for additional testing or, or something to be done. And I'm glad you listened to your intuition. Yeah. Listen to mm -hmm. that intuition. So I went back and I said, I know that you want me to continue to wait and continue trying, but I would really like at this point to have some sort of testing done. Mm. And so she had my hormone panel done. And that was the first time I had had any sort of fertility testing at all. 
Uh, she said, mm -hmm. why don't you make an appointment with our in-house fertility specialist? He can help you get pregnant faster. And of course, that sounded wonderful. I was ready to be a mother and I, I made that appointment and felt, all right, finally now I'm, I'm doing something more proactive. <clears throat> so I met with the fertility specialist and um, he recommended that we do an IUI. And so we soon became familiar with various medications and, and what an IUI consisted of and sort of how that process worked. And through a few appointments, he had me charting my temperatures and, you know, we talked a lot about my cycle and things of that nature. Nothing was standing out at that time as being a red flag. But during those early appointments, he did receive my labs back. And he told me that that indicated that I had diminished ovarian reserve that my egg reserve was lower than someone typically of my age. But we didn't go into the details of, of what the numbers were representing or what the numbers actually were. So I knew that I had a diagnosis, but I didn't understand the severity of my diminished ovarian reserve quite at that time. So, uh, you know, I have to say, I, I paused for a second because I, I'm scrunching. If you could see me, I'm scrunching. <laughs> the little space between my eyebrows right now. And the reason is because I, I went to my fertility doctor at 31. We had secondary infertility. And I remember him saying to me, I'm really glad you're coming in now at 31 because he said a few, a few years from now, it, it might be harder for you because fertility rates drop drastically around the age of 35. So it's really good for that you came in at 31. And so I'm hearing you, your doctor say, oh, don't worry, you're fine. You have a history of early menopause and you're 35 and I'm just scrunching my eyebrows. I just, I'm, yeah. How do you, I mean, in hindsight, is that just, are you, it sound, you sound frustrated. It's disappointing. Um, yeah. Looking back, I recognize the fact that I had definitely inquired on an annual basis and after my journey was complete and I, and I did eventually become a mother, I had my record sent to me just to have, I, I'm somebody who likes to always ensure that I have my medical record. So I had my record sent and I went through the stack of paperwork and, and my OBGYN had actually noted on my file on multiple years that I had inquired. I wow. said that I had a history of early menopause in my family. So mm -hmm. it pointing looking back in terms of, uh, again, a woman who was not yet ready to have a child, but knew that she wanted to mm -hmm. and was inquiring, but to be dismissed in that regard is, is very disappointing. Mm -hmm. I'm very much an advocate for women continuing to inquire. And if they're dismissing you, go somewhere else, make mm -hmm. an appointment to see an RE. You have to be our own advocate. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll just tell you what my fertility doctor told me. He said, yeah, back at the time, this was years ago, quite a few years ago, OBGYNs were putting uh, women on Clomid for long, long periods of time, like over a year. And uh, my fertility doctor said, that's way too long, you know, that we need to move on if it's taking that long. And so I, I am not a medical doctor, nor do I want to claim to know anything about this. So first of all, let me say that. That's my disclaimer. Um, <laughs> but I will say I think a second opinion is helpful in this because their fertility doctors, they do have different 
methods and different, you know, theories and things like that. It's still a lot of, there's just a lot of unknowns and things that, that they're still f- discovering. So yes. And I also believe you're exactly right about go to an RE and go to a fertility doctor and um, go ahead and, and, and the OBGYNs are wonderful at what they do, but do ask for a, a what do you call it? A referral, I guess, or a recommendation for a fertility doctor. And don't be afraid to go ahead and, and get that first consultation. Even if your OBGYN says, no, it's probably not needed. You know what? It doesn't hurt to just go ahead and have that consultation, that first initial appointment. And if you hear the same answer from the fertility doctor, okay. But OBGYNs don't, that's not their specialty, fertility for the most part. So yeah, I agree that that's, that's the route to take as well. Be an advocate and take that next step in fertility because it's a whole different uh, specialty outside of being OBGYN. So that's good. Follow your intuition. I love that. We're not giving medical advice. Okay. So nope, not doing that. <laughs> we know better. We're not doctors. We know better than that, but we are saying, follow your intuition and do go in. And that fertility doctor, that RE reproductive endocrinologist is the one to uh, make an appointment with, even if insurance may not cover it, it's worth it. If you, if you can get those answers that before it's too late, like you said, because, you know, time was not on your side and, you know, maybe there was something you could have done. Maybe you could have frozen your eggs. Is that, would that have been something you would have done? Potentially? Yes. I, it it very much could have been. And, you know, as I reflect back on that now, I wonder what I have really wanted to know, because if you find out so early, maybe even in your late twenties or early thirties or or mid twenties for that matter, that time is not on your side and you do have a severe diminished ovarian reserve or, or something, you, I, I'm sure that it can put a lot of pressure on someone um, to feel as though they need to accelerate their family building journey when perhaps they might not quite be ready otherwise. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I would have likely pursued the path of egg freezing to try to give myself that quote unquote insurance policy, even though as again, we're not giving medical advice, but at least you're, you're taking a step to try to possibly allow yourself to be able to do IVF in the future with your own eggs. Yeah. To preserve your fertility. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And actually we're going to have, I'm going to have a doctor on the show here in a bit who does egg freezing. So I'm excited about learning more about that um, option as well. So, yeah. So you, I kind of cut you off. Sorry about that, but I was just scrunching my eyebrows and I just felt like, you know, I needed to, to pause on that, on that moment, because I think that was so, it's so key. And, and you're advocating for getting that, uh, being an advocate for advocate for your own fertility, um, journey and, and medical process. And is anything else, what else are you advocating for, for young women or for women in their fertile, fertile years? Right. I think that, um, you know, just raising awareness around that is very important. And through just meeting different women on Instagram, I know that I'm not alone in having that experience. So uh, definitely raising more awareness around that is important. As it relates to that continued journey with the in-house fertility specialist, he we did try an IUI. It did not work. And he shared with me, and I, I remember this like it happened yesterday, where we actually did take a look at my lab results. And he particularly pointed out the result of my anti-malarian hormone level, the AMH, which is another indicator of a, a woman's ovarian reserve. And mine happened to be undetectable. So nothing below 0.16 at that time would register. And mine did not register. 
Okay. So through that conversation, I, I was completely shocked to understand that not only did I have diminished ovarian reserve, that my case was more on the severe side, in particular for someone my age. And I remember leaving his, his office, he, we were sitting in his office at the time, and I just ran out of his office down the hallway sobbing. That was Ugh. the moment where I really understood this is not going to be easy and this is going to require a lot more. He had told me at that stage that we could try additional IUIs, but it would probably be best for me to transition to a reproductive endocrinologist. You must have had so many strong emotions just hitting you at that moment. Just, And I, I have to say anger must have been one of a big one. You know, there must have been some tears that were partly motivated by anger as well as, you know, sadness and grief because of what your intuition was telling you and just to be dismissed, that, that must have been very hard. Right. And it certainly was. And I hope that, um, again, women will continue to be their own advocate to, you know, inquire about these tests. And I understand that it could be a matter of insurance possibly not covering or, um, you know, perhaps needing a referral to an RE, but definitely do continue to advocate for, for what you would like to be tested for. Um, so at that point, my husband and I very quickly made an appointment with an RE. Uh, fortunately we were living in a, in a city that had a number of different well-respected REs within local distance. So that was definitely a plus for us as most women have probably encountered. It can take several months to get into that first appointment. And at that point you are you transition from a quote unquote normal person to a fertility patient. You enter this world that is completely unknown to most at that time, mm-hmm. learning about various medical procedures and testing and lab results and you're poked and probed and you're, you're basically just a, a body trying to, they're trying to determine what problem is and how they can help try to achieve your goal of becoming a mother. So it's a very, very hard transition for a lot of women to make that step to quote unquote infertility patient, right? It's, it's something that no one really imagines themselves ever being in that position. Absolutely. And I remember working briefly inside, I was independent still, but I was housing um, myself in a doctor's office briefly. And so I could access the patients better. And I remember just seeing these wide-eyed looks in the waiting room and these women and people just sitting in there, just kind of, you know, during the headlights, what's happening, what's going on and then being called back. And, you know, I just, I think that at the time I had this idea that I wanted to be a consultant that helped people walk, walk them through and go to their appointments with them and explain to them what's going to happen and educate them along the way, because I don't, there's just not a lot of education going on along the way in the, in the offices in the doctor's offices. And that's something that can be, I think, improved upon. I think some clinics are doing it better than others. And, um, and so you're right. It's just terrifying. It's such a scary, uh, thing for, for women to go through. And so I think it's such a good point to raise. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. So my doctor did some 
additional testing. And he recommended that we do two back-to-back -back egg retrievals in order to try to retrieve as many eggs as we could, knowing that time was of the essence with my diagnosis. Okay. And as with many IVF cycles, there are various delays that occur as a result of, you know, different things. So it took several months for us to be able to do those two back-to-back -back cycles. And we followed a very specific protocol that was intended to try to produce quality eggs over quantity. We knew that my ovarian reserve was so low, my antral follicle count was usually only four or five. So we knew that we were not going to be able to retrieve a large number of eggs. And through our two back-to-back -back retrievals, we were only able to retrieve one egg during each retrieval, which was very devastating. Um, we were grateful to have the, the two eggs, but those were certainly not the numbers that we were hoping for. We were hoping for maybe three to five eggs per cycle. Mm -hmm. So we then uh, decided to transfer. Uh, we elected to do a single embry embryo transfer, which is something that was recommended by our RE, which we were in total alignment with. And so we transferred the first embryo and uh, that was unsuccessful. There was, there was no pregnancy. And with the second and final embryo, we did achieve a pregnancy. Okay. And um, yeah. I remember that feeling. I had not seen those two lines before in my life. So it was, I, I felt finally we have it, you know, everything was oh, worth it. Yeah. And we were finally going to become parents. This was our last embryo. It was, um, and that we were finally going to be parents. So I, I think that very same day, I I went out and bought the book, What to Expect When You're Expecting. So excited. I bought a onesie and, you know, I was just elated. Mm -hmm. And we had a, an appointment where we did an ultrasound and, you know, everything was looking on track. It was very early, but my beta number numbers were doubling and we had no reason to believe that there was any sort of uh, issue at that point. Mm -hmm. And when we went into the appointment to view the heartbeat, there was no, there was no heartbeat. Oh, I'm so sorry. And that, that was at, it was that at six weeks or eight six, weeks? Yeah, about six weeks. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. So he said, stop all meds. And, you know, from there, it's just a, a series of various clips in my mind of what I remember from that day, mm. first, not only devastation from finding out that we were not going to be expecting any longer and telling friends and, and family about that, um, but also coming to terms with the fact that we were back to where we started. We no longer had any eggs or embryos to be able to move forward with. And that was definitely a pivotal moment for us in our journey. Mm -hmm. At that point, um, my husband and I had discussed over the course of the prior months the possibility of an egg donor in our path to parenthood. We knew that it was something that we were definitely open to. Now, did the doctor mention it first or he did or not. you just okay, so you just knew of it. You knew it, it was an option from your own research. Correct. We knew it was okay. an option from our own research. And after the miscarriage, you know, we, we grieved for a period of time. And when we were ready, we had more conversation with each other around the idea of, of using an egg donor. 
And we decided that what would be the best option for us for a variety of different reasons. We weren't sure that we would ever be able to have a, a child with my own eggs or how long that would take to happen. And we had a follow-up appointment with our RE and we let him know that we would like to move forward with egg donation. And at that point, he had not brought this up to us. We, we had not discussed it with him at all. And, and he said, I think that's a, a great path forward for you. If you would have wanted to try again with your own eggs, we could. I'm not saying it would never happen, but I don't know if it would happen or how long it would take. Mm-hmm. So he was he was on board with um, with our plan, and we had a renewed hope we we would possibly be able to become parents after all. Yeah. Okay. So you had renewed hope, and you you had thought of this on your own. So you didn't have one of those moments that a lot of people have where the doctor drops it on them. And so that's for you. It probably felt a little less um, surprising. Again, it sounded like you were really advocating for yourself, doing your own research and, and getting those next steps. Like you said, you're a planner. So you right. you had that. So that did that help ease the uh, transition into your next steps? Yes, it definitely did. Because this is something that we, to your point, it wasn't, um, it didn't come to us out of the blue from our RE. It was something that we decided and, and thought through very carefully on our own. And it was something that we wanted to do. We felt that a path to parenthood through egg donation would likely be our best chance to become parents and have a healthy pregnancy and have a healthy child. Yeah. Yeah. And so at that point, did you ask the clinic for recommendations on agencies or how, what, how do you go about it? And that if you're the one leading that path and what, what is the next step? How do you do that? Right. So various clinics have uh, different options for moving forward. Um, Some clinics have their own in-house donor pool where they have egg donors that they they work with and you're able to kind of view those profiles through the clinic. There's also the egg banks, which I am not as familiar with. I do know a number of women who have have used them and, and they've been successful where you can, I believe, just purchase the the frozen eggs that the that the bank has already obtained from from donors and then also there are agencies that you can work with in order to view their donor profiles as well so our particular clinic provided us with a list of uh, options for pursuit of either egg bank or agencies etc they did not have an in-house donor pool and so from there, we did a lot of research on our own. It's, it's definitely a different process to kind of also begin wrapping your mind around in terms of determining what's important for you and a donor. What are you looking for? What are your, uh, where do you try to find someone? There, there are so many different options. Um, we weren't mm-hmm. situation where we were going to use a donor that was known to us. So we needed to find a donor through other means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you, you didn't have a known donor, so you knew that you would have to use someone that was not known to you at the time. Did you know at that time, whether you, you know, what level of contact you wanted to have with your donor or were you, did you have a lot of information or access to that type of information? Cause I know a lot of people struggle with, with that, not knowing where to start and not even knowing their options. 
Right, certainly. And I, I do rec it can be very overwhelming for for women or for couples. Um, so definitely recommend doing as much research as you can. And mm -hmm. again, prioritizing what's important to you, understanding all of your various options. If you are going with a, a, an agency, ensure that you're doing your homework. Also, mm -hmm. for me, one of the things that was extremely helpful in this journey is I became a member of a support group. So you know, as you're going through these treatments, you are feeling so alone, so isolated. So I became a member of a support group, which was, which was huge for me. And, and through that, I was able to connect with other women who were also going through the same journey. So with ed donation, so that was extremely powerful. And I learned a lot from them as well. I, I had various friends who had used different agencies who had done embryo donation, sperm donation, so I was able to find that sisterhood of not only fellow infertility warriors, but fellow intended parents through third-party reproduction, which was just phenomenal. Yeah, that's awesome that to find that type of support group. And you can get so much information there too. Certainly. Um, the other thing that was very helpful for my husband and I through our journey was we did seek professional help from a therapist specializing in reproductive concerns and, and issues. And that was extremely helpful for us as we progressed through our infertility journey and decided to become parents through egg donation. Uh, our therapist was instrumental in helping us kind of realize some of the aspects of that that we needed to think through that we hadn't even been aware of up until that point. There's just so many unknowns, I think, mm -hmm. At that point, couples are so focused on, I just want to be a parent, but there's more mm -hmm. things that need to be considered. And, and our therapist was very much instrumental in that. So she was able to highlight to us other considerations that we needed to have. Like, yeah, what types of things does she have you consider? So she would have us consider that, you know, the main thing was, would we share with our child the family building story? Okay. And that was mm -hmm. a very... Um, strong memory that I have all of these years later, we, we believed right away that sharing the family building story was what our plan for our family would be. And she was happy to hear that. She was an advocate for that as well and believed that that would be the right thing to do for the donor conceived child. And she reached behind her on her gigantic wall of, of books and pulled out a children's book and said, this is how you can start. I, she had me look through the book, and at that point, I, it felt still so far removed from where I was at that stage that I would ever be reading this book to a child and, and beginning to share that story. It just felt so far away. Mm -hmm. And it was very emotional to look at that book. Oh, the I fact bet. that you cannot have your own genetic child or pursuing a path to parenthood through her and that you are going to be having a conversation with that child. So it makes it real, doesn't it? It's very real. Yeah. And it's, it still feels so at that point, so far removed from where you are. Yeah. You know that that's, that's where you hope to be. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So there's so many emotions of, I hope, I hope to be here. I hope this works. And, but then also what an emotional conversation to be having and all your own feelings that are coming up still at that point, it's gotta be 
you know, quite profound to read a book like that at that stage. And I've heard people say that also it, you know, they just cry, they cry when they read it and they even cry when they read it when their child's here, because it's so, it's still so um, emotional. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, but as it relates to going through the, the egg donation process itself, ours was extremely smooth. We're fortunate to be able to have quite a bit of medical background in regards to our donor, which which we thought was very important. And we had genetic testing through our journey done, not only on myself and my husband, but the but the egg donor as well. So we were happy about that. And our process was very very smooth. There, there weren't any challenges along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember another very vivid memory that I have is when my husband and I went in for the transfer, we elected to do a single embryo transfer and they brought in the, the embryo and they said, this is a beautiful, this is such a beautiful embryo. And I just cried because I knew that I I would not have had that quote unquote beautiful embryo with my own eggs, or at least it was very Mm. beautiful. So I felt again, really strong, renewed sense of hope that that this really could lead us to that child that we had been wishing and dreaming for all of those years. Yeah. And you had not been told that prior to about your other embryos? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So you felt hope. Yeah. You felt hope and that this might work this time. And was there a fear? Well, I'm jumping ahead because, you know, I'll let you continue because we're not, we're not to the pregnancy part and I don't know if this one worked. So I'll let you keep talking. <laughs> right. Yeah. So fortunately it did work. And, you know, my, my beta numbers were very strong. It was just the best feeling. I, I had a, I had a great intuition that my, my pregnancy would be smooth and my, my, our child would be healthy and, and it worked mm-hmm. out ways. I remember um, going back, I I think I was having my beta numbers checked for the second or third time, or we were going in for an appointment and I ran into our RE in the lobby of the building and I was coming out of the elevator and he was going in and he just hugged me and he's not overly emotional. You know, he's warm, but he's not overly emotional. He just hugged me. Oh, wow. It was just very powerful. Yeah. That is, that is powerful. That's really nice to hear. Yeah. So it it was a very uh, smooth pregnancy, but you know, my experience with, with pregnancy, especially early on was consistent with what I hear from a lot of women, um, where you're just very, you're still very fearful Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. what could go wrong because I think you become so accustomed to unfortunately receiving bad news. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We're, we're kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop, so to speak. So yeah. I was very, I was very worried for, you know, a lot of those early weeks and early months that something would go wrong. Especially since you had miscarried and already, and it's, you know, people, women will say, I was so nervous until I got past that point where I lost the baby or where something went wrong. And I thought that I would feel better after that point, And maybe I did feel slightly better but it, it, the anxiety carried on throughout the entire pregnancy. Right, right. And I think that that is fairly normal. I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not an expert, but I, from a lot of women that I, I've spoken with over the years that have gone through a pregnancy after infertility, it's, I, I think, very common. And again, I, I continued with my therapy. I just think it's so important for yourself, but also for your relationship. And 
my husband also, it's, it's important for men to receive that. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes they are trying so hard to be that rock Mm -hmm. that they take for granted that they need their own support as well. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. When I I give um, my clients a little test to see how infertility is impacting them and men always report higher numbers in the relationship. And it's not because they believe their relationship is worse off than their, the wives that they're, they're in relationship with. It's that they feel more distress in the relationship because they, their wife is unhappy and because they can't fix it because they want to be able to fix it. And when they can't, it really upsets them as a, as a husband and, and their role as a husband feels compromised. And so, because that's what men need to be able to provide. And so, yeah, it's definitely impacting them. And, and that I couldn't agree more that they need support and, and how we, you know, ways that we can figure out to support men better is really important. So if you have ideas, I'd love to hear them. It's, it's so true though, because, you know, exactly what you just said, I, I couldn't agree with more men want to fix the problem. And, and what all of us have learned through infertility is, unfortunately, to a certain extent, we have just a, a lack of control. You go through mm-hmm. infertility mm-hmm. acupuncture and we eat this and we don't eat that. And we, you know, do so many different things, everything that we can, every vitamin, every, you know, meditation or journaling or whatever it is, we, we try to do so much to have that positive impact. But unfortunately, there's just, there's things, aspects of it that are out of our control. And that is very challenging for women and and especially men, I believe as well. So again, having that professional sounding board Mm -hmm. trained such as yourself in uh, helping couples navigate the aspects of infertility, not only through the journey, but even into pregnancy and parenthood is just so unbelievably meaningful. It is. And also I I, I spend a session with couples where I explain the ways, the different ways that men and women usually respond to infertility and they are so different and that can help couples to understand where the other one is coming from and, um, and feel less hurt and tension and strain and when, when they understand each other more. And so that can be really profound and helpful. So yeah, I think I actually did a webinar years ago about it. It's out there on the webs somewhere. (laughs) And uh, I talk about that and I was younger then, but I do talk about the differences between men and women and how they respond to, to infertility and trying to understand each other better. So, and I have strategies that I offer people on how to communicate and how to cope. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm so glad that you got that support and help during the process. And it did help your husband as well. Absolutely. It did. I think it's, it's helpful to for men, if they're, if they're open to it, and I would encourage everyone to just give it a try, but perhaps have your own therapist that the, that the husband goes to, or, you know, whomever the partner is goes to, and that the other partner goes to that way you can each kind of have your own separate conversation. And then if you come together with either a separate therapist or or one of your own, that can be very helpful as well. So through my journey, partnering with our reproductive therapist, my husband had a couple of sessions on his own with someone else. And then we came together and had a couple of sessions with our reproductive therapist as we were discussing the egg donation path. Yeah, that's good. I definitely like that you came together too, because 
uh, infertility is a couple's issue. And so it's, it's important that a lot of times, you know, either there's situations where the man will disengage and the woman will take the lead and then he'll, she'll feel like he's not really in the process and he will maybe feel like he doesn't, isn't empowered in the process. And so I really try to bring them together in those situations where to let them know that, that it is a couple's issues and they, they are in this together and to kind of help them, you know, you know, basically come together in that process. And so, yeah, I love that you met separately so they could talk out, out separate issues, but then came back together to talk about it in session two. That's really, really key. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then, you know, you had that, you're going through that, you're getting the support you need, you're advocating for yourself. You're really, you know, doing what you need. And then was there a point at which you felt like, you know, you, I remember you mentioned, I grabbed the book, what to expect when I was expecting. And, you know, when you were then expecting, were you looking for resources for your unique family building situation? Absolutely. I was. And at that time, I didn't know any women outside of my support group that had been on a similar journey. So I think when you, when you go down a, a path of intending to parent through third-party reproduction, you you kind of branch off a little bit from other infertility warriors who are, who are going through infertility treatments with their own um, eggs or sperm. You, you kind of branch off a little bit where it's, it's harder for those women and men to understand exactly what you're now going through. So for me, it was, it was very powerful to continue meeting with the women on a regular basis who were intended to parent through third-party reproduction. And, and that has continued years later. I'm, I'm still friends with a number of those women and we've seen our, our children oh, grow up. That's amazing. And that was something yeah. that my reproductive therapist recommended as well. She told me to look into a, the, a resolve support group in my local area. And fortunately there was one and it, it was a moment that changed my life. It really did. And it led to so many other things. I love resolve. They're just, they've been around for a long time and it's, they've been talking about this before anybody was. So I love that group. Right. Yeah. It's, it's wonderful. So I had the children's book. I think there was a, an additional book on, on egg donation that I had, had found and purchased. And we went on to have a very healthy pregnancy, a very healthy child. And, but for parents such as myself who are parenting through third party, the journey does not end when your child is born. The journey, a different part of the journey is just beginning. Mm -hmm. We need to continue to educate ourselves to the extent that we can on how to best parent our child. A few mm -hmm. years ago, when, when I first became a mother, there was, there was no resource to try to help us understand how to do that and to also navigate some of our feelings and emotions as we continue to acknowledge the loss of, of my own genetics. So when I was able to meet with you first on Instagram and learn more about your book and read it, I was so excited for this community because I knew that this was a resource that had not been previously available, specifically mm -hmm. geared for women like myself and husbands who are also parenting in this manner. So I just was so excited about it. Oh, good. I might still have a, a feeling or emotion that comes up for a variety of different reasons. And I can refer back to the book and kind of read the appropriate uh, chapter that you've, you've written about. And through the years, as our child, you know, grows up and goes through different phases of life, we can reflect back on your book as we get to middle school years and, you know, everything else and how to, how to best parent our child 
as growth continues because I, I want to be the best and most aware parent that I can. I, I'm certainly far from perfect and I, I won't do everything right, but, but it's very important to me to try to be as open-minded and supportive as I can as, as this journey through growing up <laughs> continues. Yeah. That's so, it's so nice of you to say that. Cause I was actually thinking about your book when I, when I asked you that question, um, because of your, you know, your children's book. And I, I, so I appreciate you, you saying that about my, my book. I, you know, if it's the, what to expect when you're expecting a third, uh, or when you're expecting mm-hmm. a, your donor conceived child, then, oh my gosh, that would be amazing. So that's a huge compliment. Thank you so much. And, but I was actually thinking about yours because you know, when I was writing my book and even before I wrote my book, when I was offering up resources to my clients, because I was, you know, a therapist for 10 years talking to people about this before I wrote the book, that I was trying to find a good children's book. And I have to be honest, I I bought a lot of them and my daughter and I would read through them and go, you know, what do you think about this? What do you think about the language? How does it sound? Does it feel right? And we struggled to find books that we would give our own personal stamp of approval. And just because we knew both being adopted, my daughter and I were both adopted, that we knew there was a certain feel to a story that we wanted to be honest and we want to be truthful, but not not overly complicated or I don't even know. I can't even find the right word. But basically, there's there's a sense of a book. There's a feeling of a book that feels genuine and right to a child who's in a family that they're not genetically connected to. Some that feel right and that some that just don't feel quite right. And yours felt right. Yours felt really right. So I really was so excited to read your book and get that perspective that your book doesn't try to overly explain or, or put in too many positive adjectives or put in too many details. It's, it's straightforward. It's we're a family. We were created a bit differently. We love each other. And you know that's it. And we're going to fill in the rest of the details later. And that's just, to me, is, is really good. I really, really like that. So some of the early children books I've seen saw go into a little bit more, you know, detail that the child maybe can't quite grasp yet. And really at the age that you wrote your book for, it's, it's, they just need that, that basic concept, that's that foundation, the building blocks to be set for them. So then you can build as their brain grows and they become more aware and they understand things at a deeper and more complicated level, then you can start filling in the details. So I really like, I really love Happy Together. It's a Happy Together children's book. Yeah. Thank you so much for those words, Jana. That means so much to me. Um, right. So I, I wrote Happy Together, an egg donation story in 2018, and I was so proud of it and the opportunity to be able to read it with my own child. And I was hopeful that it would help other, other families as well. And I'm so humbled that it has. And I absolutely, there's nothing that makes me happier than to hear from other parents who love reading Happy Together with their child and to see pictures of children reading the book and, and hearing about what aspects of the book they enjoy and the illustrations that stand out to them. So I, I love that. And when I wrote the book, I wasn't intending on it becoming a, a series or a collection, but as time went on, I thought more about the opportunity to help other parents that were perhaps parents through sperm donation or embryo donation or other means and help them have an additional resource to tell their family building story. So 
I've written a, a number of other books at this point, a couple of which have been published in the past couple of months. We have Happy Together, a sperm donation story, and also Happy Together, an IVF story. And I have another book that will likely be published in the next couple of weeks and more that are being worked on as well. So I'm just absolutely passionate about helping other families have a resource to share this special story with their child into how their, their family was built and convey to that child just how much they're wished for and loved and you know help make it clear that they were born in a special way. And that's just a building block that, that parents can use to help that conversation start. And then over the years, as that child grows up, it becomes part of normal everyday conversation. But I think it's particularly hard when you're a new parent, you have a, a newborn or a, you know, maybe even a toddler that you're first starting to share the story with. It's, it's an unknown for parents that, that might cause some additional triggers as they start to share this. So to have a, a book that is sweet and tells a very heartwarming story was just my goal. And I'm, I'm so proud that it's been able to help many families so far. Absolutely. And I, I love the illustration. What inspired you? Do you have an art background or did your, you have a really, how do you find your illustrator? And there's just a, it's got this, I know there's a picture of a sun, mm-hmm. a little smiling sun at the front, but I like that it has this very sunny uh, feel to it. And I love that the, the two little, are they bears mm-hmm. are on a little tandem bike. That's one of my favorite things to do is be on a tandem. I, I, I'm not kidding. I love a tandem bike. <laughs> so fun. And so I don't know, I think it just spoke to me of this like happy childhood feelings from childhood. I used to ride my bike a lot to school. So, you know, where, where was your inspiration? Was it that kind of same kind of feel or did you have a specific memory that, that you, that you placed into the illustrations and story? I just had a vision and I was very planful. I, I had a vision in my mind about what I wanted the illustrations to look like after I wrote the book. And so again, you know, tapping back to my very <laughs> planful, um, I did a lot of research and I kind of, you know, would grab snippets of ideas that I had and I started forming a vision in my mind. And I, you know, throughout the book, there's, there's pieces that are reflective of, of my real life journey and, you know, things that we have for our child and in regards to the crocheting of the blanket and the, you are my sunshine. And there's just different mm-hmm. part of our real story. And ironically, it's, so wonderful to hear from other parents who find parts of the book that resonate with them as well personally because it's it's played a, a moment in their story with their child as well. Mm-hmm. I was so absolutely lucky to find Ashley Lucas, who is an illustrator of Happy Together, and she is just such a wonderful person. And without her, Happy Together wouldn't be what it is. And so mm-hmm. as soon as I saw her illustrations, I knew immediately that I, I needed, (laughs) I needed her to do happy together. Unfortunately, she's just been totally wonderful to work with. And I couldn't say enough good things about her. Mm, I love it. And I love your description that it's a a happy together is a heartwarming book to help introduce young children to the concept of IVF. In this case, this is an IVF story, Mm -hmm. a story told through clear language and cheerful illustrations. Readers will join mommy and daddy bear on their journey to fulfill the greatest wish of becoming parents. With the help of a doctor, mommy and daddy's dream come true and a baby was welcomed with great joy. It's just succinct. 
and perfect. I just love it. I love it. So I, your writing is, is so, is, is well done. Do you have a background in writing? Or is this just a hidden talent? You're not so hidden anymore. <laughs> not so hidden. I've always, I've always had an interest in writing. Um, there's a number of people in my family who have written books and oh, nice. poetry, you know, dating back to great grandparents. And oh, I have always yeah. enjoyed reading throughout the years. And I started writing short story fiction when I was in junior high school. And then I went on to do creative writing and short story fiction writing and poetry writing as electives in college. And it's just something that I've always enjoyed doing as an interest. It's not something that I do for my career, but to okay. write is always a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. I certainly never imagined it would necessarily be about parenting through uh, egg donation, but... <laughs> But what a need you have fulfilled. What I need. was able to dream, fulfill that dream and help other yeah. people along the way. So I, I couldn't ask for anything more. Yeah. What a, what a wonderful way to uh, use your talents and your dream and incorporate it in your own story and help others. It just, it's like the full circle in a moment. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited and I'm so glad you've come out with now a sperm donation story and an IVF story. And I can only imagine the other stories that are coming out because there's lots of other scenarios that parents need. And in fact, I was just on a podcast uh, last or a couple of weeks ago with a mom who is wanting a story for a family who has an older sibling who is biological so they could read the story to their older child or their five, six-year-old child about the baby on the way. So ways to talk about donor conception with children that are already in the family. So there's so many other, you know, possibilities and and I think series that you could create and you probably will. Knowing you, (laughs) you're type A, you're going to do it. (laughs) Well, this has been such a pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you and getting to know more, getting to know you more, the lady behind Happy Together. And just, you know, if people want to find your book, they can find it on Amazon. And is there anywhere else they can buy your book? Amazon, Barnes and Noble, lots of online places where books are sold, but Amazon would be the best place to check it out. Yeah, that's the easiest one. And then if they want to connect with you on social media, they can connect with you at Happy Together Children's Book on Instagram. Are you on any other? Are you on Facebook or just on Instagram. Okay. Just on Instagram. So you can find more information about the book there. And yeah, it was such a pleasure having you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Jana Rupnow LPC. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com and target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.